Did you know that hospice and end-of-life services focus on the care and comfort of individuals who are currently living with a serious illness and choose not to continue treatment? Yet only half of all Medicare beneficiaries use your hospice benefit. It is important for older adults facing a serious, life-limiting illness to understand the options that support their end-of-life wishes and be prepared with their families and caregivers. Hello everyone, I'm Cheryl Mijal, and welcome to My Care Advisors. In this episode, Hospice, Miss, Facts, and New Options, we are joined by Kent Matthews from Pikes Peak Area Council of Governments Area Agency on Aging and end-of-life doula, Lucy Crandall. Well, welcome, Kent and Lucy. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Um, I'm looking forward to the opportunity, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. We are very grateful to be here with you today. So, Kent and Lucy, usually the term hospice may lead to many assumptions about its meaning. Can you both share with our listeners what are the most common myths about hospice? So, One of the myths that I hear frequently is that hospice is a place where you go to die. Another hospice myth that comes up um, very often is that you can only be on hospice if you're actively dying and just hours away from death. And I've also heard um, from people where they say that um, you have to have a diagnosis of terminal cancer to be on hospice. Oh, there's so many. There's so many myths. Um, Another one is that um, hospice hastens the dying process in that they take away all your medications and dope you up on morphine so that you do die. You can only have hospice if you have Medicare. Um, There's another one about qualifying for hospice. A lot of folks think that in order to qualify for hospice, patients must be bed bound and unable to leave their homes. And then another one that I hear frequently is from people that um, you can only have hospice services for up to six months and that um, hospice patients are expected to die within that time period. Um, another one sort of about the, the length of stay is that um, a lot of times folks, if they decide not to go on hospice the first time it's offered, that um, they never can get back on it. Once you've turned it down, you've missed your opportunity and hospice is no longer available to you. Lucy, there, there's another one that kind of goes with that one as well. Once you become a hospice patient, you're on hospice until you die and that you're stuck with your decision and you can't change your mind. You can't go back. One of my favorite ones um, is, I guess, sort of about quality of life or your life quality, but that if you're a smoker, hospice is going to make you stop smoking. Kind of along with that kind of a control issue is that once you're a hospice patient, you have no more control and all of the decisions about your life will be made by others. And that's a really, really strong myth that I've heard. Another very common one is that you you must give up your primary care doctor to be on hospice. Well, Lucy and Kent, thank you for sharing some of these myths and misconceptions about what hospice is. And so thinking of that, let's dive deeper into actually what hospice is and how it supports families. If you could share with our listeners some of those facts surrounding how hospice supports older adults, individuals, and families with life-limiting conditions. Hospice is a type of care and it's often, I put it in more of like end of life type of care. Medicare that oversees hospice is very specific in terms of um, the components of hospice care. Um, There's a team of individuals, a registered nurse, a CNA, 
a hospice social worker, a hospice chaplain, and a hospice volunteer that are available to support the person on hospice care as well as the family. Um, Medicare also um, says that when a person's on hospice, their uh, medications uh, related to their hospice diagnosis are paid for by Medicare. And then another um, criteria is that Medicare will pay for basic medical equipment like a hospital bed, a bedside commode, a walker, a wheelchair, um, uh, a bench for the shower or a chair for the shower. There's various basic medical equipment that the person may need in the home to help take care of their family member and then Medicare pays for that. Those are, are the basics in terms of the components of hospice care. Um, Lucy, do you have anything else you want to add? I do, Kent, actually. Um, you kind of touched on it, but I want to just emphasize that hospice is a service, not a place. Um, it's it's a service just like home care would be. The hospice team will come to wherever you are, whether you're at home, whether you're in a nursing home, an assisted living facility, they all come to you. And it really, it's a choice. It's patients get to make their own choice about their hospice services. There's many options out there as far as agencies that provide this type of service. Um, and so you do want to shop around and make sure you're getting the right service that you choose and can assemble your team and make sure that they're the appropriate team um, for your needs. And, and to kind of dovetail with that, Lucy, about um, hospice goes to where you're at. In my hospice career, and this was when I was in Arizona, I had two hospice patients. When they came on service, one was living under a bridge, under a freeway, and the other one was living in cardboard boxes in the middle of the dry riverbed of the Salt River. And that's where hospice care started. So it literally is where the person is at. And that's one of um, one of the things I like best about hospice. I love hospice no matter what, but it really is there to support the dying patient, but also the family and loved ones that surround that patient. So it really is there to support the whole family. And even after the loved one passes with hospice, the family and the loved ones behind get to have the support of hospice throughout the whole next year for their grief and those kinds of things. So it it really doesn't end when the when the client ends, it really does continue to help to support the family through all their needs. One of the things that I've seen over the years since I I have left hospice but still continue to support family caregivers is family caregivers sometimes do not understand or comprehend that the hospice team, especially the social worker and the chaplain, are there for their emotional support. Because the, the system that they've come from, meaning the medical system, it's always about the patient, always about the patient. And the caregiver has to fight to make themselves visible. And in hospice care, the caregiver and the family members shouldn't have to fight to make themselves available or visible to the hospice team. The hospice team should be there to provide them with their emotional support as well, because that's critical in terms of helping them to support their family member. We say it a lot, um, but hospice really is support for living well, not for dying. Exactly. Thank you for sharing some of these facts, Kent and Lucy. I was wondering what type of conditions are typically supported with somebody who is on receiving hospice services? Any medical condition that's in end stage. 
really. So things like cardiac issues, lung issues, gastro issues. So it's not always cancer then. That's what I think people typically think about. Right, right. So so like end-stage kidney disease or end-stage liver disease or um, even dementia in the end stages. Um, All of those, I mean, it's it's a a very, very long list of uh, medically- uh, what would be appropriate for hospice care. And you're right, it's not just about cancer. It's about any chronic condition that has moved into the terminal stage is eligible for hospice care support. And one of the great things about hospice, while um, the guidelines say six months or less, um, a lot of times folks live past that six-month period and they can continue on hospice. They don't have to, just because it's been six months that they've had this care and they live through that six months, it doesn't mean hospice is now over. They can just get recertified and um, continue to receive those hospice services even past that six months. Um, You know, you never know how things are going to go for folks, no matter what the diagnosis is. Um, And if, you know, they make it past that six months, that's Great, and they just continue on with those hospice services till they do pass. Which then ties into a, that other point that um, hospice is a choice, and um, it is possible, um, like you referred to, Lucy, for a person to come on to hospice, and um, for whatever reason or reasons they decide that um, they want to not do hospice care anymore primarily because they want to try another treatment or something like that, they can decide to come off of hospice care and then pursue that um, treatment, whatever they were wanting to do, and then um, come back onto hospice care. So it it is um, a, a fluid kind of a thing for the patient and the family as well. I was wondering, you mentioned previously that Hospice is not specifically a place, it is a service. So Lucy, I was just wondering, you mentioned other areas where or locations where individuals can receive hospice services. What about while living like in an assisted living or a memory care community? What are some of the ways that hospice can be delivered in those settings? Um, it's really just the same as as if they were delivering those services to your home. They come in, like Kent said, I mean, if the folks live under a bridge, the hospice team will come under the bridge. If they live in assisted living or memory care, they just come right in there and provide that care um, wherever that patient is. Um, and there are some times when, you know, symptom management gets a little out of control and it can't be controlled in the home. And then folks can go into another setting and continue to um, receive their hospice care. So maybe they're they're trying it at home, but things just aren't going as smoothly as they'd like. They certainly can go into a hospital, an assisted living, a skilled nursing facility, and continue to receive the um, services, knowing that maybe there's a nurse going to be there around the clock or something like that. Um, so they can really work with those types of care settings to provide additional support um, if those symptoms get a little out of control or the family can't handle it at home anymore. And, and one of the, this sometimes it's a question I hear sometimes about when their family members in a care facility is how frequently will the hospice team um, visit since they're in a care facility. And Medicare states that when a person's living in a care facility, whether it's assisted or a nursing facility, um, that they the staff has to visit at the same level of frequency as if they were living in their own home. So 
the hospice nurse, the hospice CNA, the hospice social worker can't slough off and say to the facility nurse, the facility CNA, the facility social worker, can you do this for us? If the person were um, in the care facility and the nurse says, I need to make uh, visits three days a week, um, just because in their in the care facility, the hospice nurse has to visit three days a week. They can't ask the facility nurse to cover one of those days instead. The level of care by hospice doesn't drop off just because the person's in a care facility. It has to remain the same as if they were living in their own home. I see. So it's really the hospice team becomes part of the entire care planning team. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And when in the facility, the care plan, Medicare requires that the hospice team and the facility team work out a joint care plan, but they have to abide by hospice um, philosophy. So um, there were instances where um, I had hospice patients, they were in a care facility, and the facility was saying, you have to go down to the dining room to eat. And the hospice patient didn't want to do that, and they wanted to stay in their own room. So we put into the care plan that since they were a hospice patient, the meals had to be delivered to their room, and they could eat in their room, irregardless of whether or not it was the policy of the care facility. Um, so there are some perks you might say, advantages for a person being on hospice care when they're living in a facility. So it sounds like hospice can be anywhere, is what you're saying. Yes, very much so. Well, thinking about that patient comfort, and Kent, you mentioned this, you know, is really the top priority of end-of-life care. And Lucy, I've heard of some different services that are provided within hospice care that can be very helpful, such as end-of-life doula and others. So can you explain what a few options for end-of-life care are and explain those services? So an end-of-life doula is is sort of a an emerging position, I guess you want to say. Um, end-of-life doulas have been around historically for thousands of years. And really an end-of-life doula just helps guide a person through the end of their life journey. Um, so an end-of-life doula, and most of us specialize in different things, but at the end of the day, we really are here to support, educate, and just listen to um, our dying patients in order to bring more meaning to the end of their life. So there's a definition that I really like, um, and it's from the International End-of-Life Doula Association um, to explain sort of what a doula is. So I'm going to read that real quick. At its core, this model of care is about open-hearted service. The doula meets with the dying person and their loved ones where they are emotionally and spiritually. The doula assists all involved to find a way to live their dying in the best way possible for them. At the same time, the doula will utilize their experience and expertise to offer an expanded view of dying that can bring greater meaning and comfort to this intense process. So really an end-of-life doula is there to, um, just like I said, sort of support and guide folks. Um, we really can work in conjunction with hospice. Um, while, you know, Kent and I have given a beautiful overview of hospice and all the wonderful services it provides, again, it's a service. So a nurse comes in, they do their tasks and then they leave. A doula can stay behind and offer um, support through time by sitting bedside with their clients. Um, we can also help with some of the end of life planning needs. So whether it's a end of life celebration, a funeral, um, any any kind of um, end of life ceremony, the doula can help plan 
um, for that and also carry through with it logistically, leaving the family to be with their loved ones. So we really can take a lot of the stress um, off of the end of life process from, you know, the very beginning to the of the diagnosis to to even post, again, helping the family get through their grief, do all the follow-up that needs to be done after a loved one dies and all of that kind of stuff. Well, this sounds like a wonderful support. So thank you, Lucy, for sharing that with us, especially as you know, one goes through this end-of-life journey. It, it sounds like it's really important to have that support group that's surrounding that individual and also the family members. Yeah, it's it's really a nice compliment um, to any hospice service. And I mean, as a doula, if a family calls me and they have a loved one that's dying and they don't have hospice, that's going to be our first call because that's really where the medical support comes in. Um, and then the doula can be there to, like I said, help with the logistics and the scheduling and sort of all the little details that the family members just don't need to be worrying about during this time. We want them to be focused on their loved one, be there to support them. And the doula can really take a lot of that, you know, hands-on work off of this process. Kent, I was wondering, you know, speaking of caregivers and families and how to support, how can one start that conversation about obtaining the support that's needed to meet their care needs at the end of life and making sure that their wishes are carried out. The process starts a lot of times by being willing to address the elephant in the room, meaning um, the fact that things aren't getting better, that the person is continuing to decline. And that's a very, very hard conversation to have, primarily because we're taught not to give up. And for a lot of people, having that conversation seems like it's giving up. But in, in reality, it's about em, embracing the situation. What I find myself doing in terms of helping family caregivers start the conversation is I start with where what they're telling me about the caregiving situation. Um, the fact that their loved one um, is tired of going to the doctor all the time because they just come back with more medications or they're tired and um, they don't want to go to the hospital and they want to die at home. Um, and then sometimes it's around the conversation of, I need extra help in the home. I can't do this. And there's not a whole lot of money to pay for stuff. So if I'm hearing any of that stuff and based on my hospice experience, I will bring up hospice care and, you know, they'll, they'll say, but, they're not um, they're not bed bound. They're not dying yet. And I'll say, but you did say that you wanted this or this or this or that your family member didn't want to go to the hospital. Well, if they don't want to go to the hospital, one of the best ways to help assure that doesn't happen is for them to be on hospice care, because now you have the medical support coming in to avoid that. Or you're, you were saying you, you were needing some extra help, you know, because the bathing and dressing is just getting too much. Well, that's helped by the hospice CNA. Um, and Medicare pays for it. Um, so it's not something that you have to worry about paying for out of pocket. Um, Medicare will pay for that. So a lot of times I start the conversation with family caregivers by giving back to them what they were saying they're struggling with or what they hope for for their family member. And a lot of times then that begins to make sense to them. And then um, I also go in more depth about what hospice really is, all that kind of stuff. And it demystifies everything for them. 
And it takes the fear factor out because a lot of times people are afraid of hospice because of what they have heard other people say. And what other people have said is not necessarily true of hospice. So I help demystify that for them. For me, it's all about having these conversations really before the crisis. You know, I, as a as an end-of-life doula, my goal in life is to normalize death and just get people talking about it. And if folks are talking with their loved ones before hospice is even needed, before di- diagnoses are made, it will make that end-of-life process so much easier because you already know what everybody wants and what page everybody will be on. So I, I tell everybody, talk about it now. It doesn't matter what age you're at or where you're at in your healthcare spectrum. Talk about the end of life now. Talk about it with your loved ones. Put it in writing. Get your five wishes booklets out. Put all those things in place before there's a crisis because it's really difficult to make decisions when the stress is so high, the frequencies are so high, everybody's you know worried about this or that or how we're going to do this and what's going to happen. If you've had that conversation 10 years ago, none of that needs to be a conversation at this point because you know what that person wanted. And you can just get those services in place. And, you know, remember when we talked, we wrote it down and you have all of that documentation to be able to fall back on. For me, when my parents died, I, they did, they would not talk to me about death or dying. And I pulled out a bottle of rum. We went through very loosely the five wishes books, but it brought me so much comfort when they, when they were taking their final breaths that I knew what they wanted and I could provide those things to honor their wishes. So neither one of them were in the dying process. Neither one of them were even thinking about that, but of course I was. And um, I just recommend those conversations, you know, Easter's coming up. So Go ahead and have that conversation when the whole family's together. Yeah, you know, to both of your points is starting that conversation and speaking with other family members and caregivers is it's so difficult to choose the right hospice provider that's the right fit. And also additional services like the end-of-life doula. Are there questions that people should have at their fingertips or a list of information that they you could review? Is a select the right hospice provider? Yes, um, and and these these are subtleties. Um, and before I go into the subtleties, real quick, so every every hospice that's functioning in the country um, is probably uh, has a license from Medicare um, that uh, allows them to get paid by Medicare for the hospice services they provide. Um, and so because of that, they are all following the same policies, but that doesn't mean that they're interpreting and putting those same policy, those policies into effect in the same way. So some of the subtleties are, um, how frequently do you allow the nurse or nurse case manager to come out to make weekly visits? Because some hospices will put a cap on that, like they don't want their nurse case managers to go out more than uh, one or two times a week. Um, and there are other hospices that will say, if the nurse needs to go out um, four, five, six times a week to manage the comfort level of the patient, then the nurse goes out five, six times a week. Um, another one is along with the CNAs, how frequently will you allow the CNAs to make weekly visits? Is it uh, one or two times a week or can they come out as needed, like five, six times a week. Another one is um, when uh, my, if my family member gets into a physical crisis, and Lucy alluded to this um, earlier, um, usually when a, 
a hospice patient gets into physical crisis, the hospices are allowed to place the uh, hospice patient in a care facility to get the physical crisis under control. Um, but some families don't want their family member to leave the house. They want that care to be taken care of in the home. And um, so you got to be asking the hospice, are you comfortable and able to put staff in the home round the clock 24-7 to get the crisis under control? Because if that's important um, for you as a family, then you need to know that your hospice is able and capable of doing that. And Medicare expects the hospice, if that's what the family wants done, Medicare expects hospice to be able to do that. But it's a question you got to ask because hospices sometimes are more comfortable with putting the patient in a care facility rather than putting the care in the home. Those those are some of the, the subtleties. Another one is, you know, find out about the length of employment for the nurses and the CNAs. Um, what's the average length of employment for your nurses and your CNAs? And if the average length of employment is down to like maybe a year or two, that may be an indicator that there's a revolving door on the nurses and the CNAs at that hospice, which means there's a high turnover rate. Um, and that may not be a hospice to select because of the high turnover rate. Another one to ask is what's the level of, what's the caseload for the nurses and the CNAs? Um, an average caseload for that's workable for um, nurses in any hospice is like 12 to 14. If it's higher than that, the nurses may be overworked and burned out. Same with the CNAs. Their average caseload may be around 15 or 20, and that's okay. But if it's higher than that, that may mean that there's possible burnout by the CNAs. So those are some of the subtle questions to ask to try to get what I call the peek behind the curtain. Lucy, I was wondering, you mentioned about communication and coordination of all those logistics. So what are a few questions that people can ask to learn more about that and also about like for example the services that you provide as end-of-life doula how do they explore that so when it comes to um the hospice team and sort of knowing what you're getting into some of my favorite questions so that you know what you're up against are when you do call into the the number the phone number for the agency what do you get do you get a live person do you get a recording um what happens on nights weekends and holidays um is the service any different you know monday through friday between nine and five and then it changes at five o'clock like what does that look like um when you do call someone um, at the agency and are having a crisis? How long is it going to take for you to get a call back? How long is it going to take to get a nurse out there? Just those are some of the kinds of things that you're going to need to anticipate and think about ahead of time, because you certainly don't want to get stuck on a Saturday afternoon in a crisis and no one's calling you back. So um, you definitely want to have that conversation um, with your agency about those expectations for phone calls, who you're reaching, the main number again, is it a recording? Is it a live person? How does that all look? And then as as far as as the end of life doula goes, um, unfortunately, we're not um, an industry that's yet certified or paid for through um, Medicare, Medicaid, or any insurance. Um, hopefully, that will change somewhere down the road. So we would be sort of a, a private pay or a side hire to support along with the hospice. But one of the things that an end-of-life doula can certainly do is help you anticipate some of those things when it comes to your hospice agency. Maybe you've already 
contracted with a hospice agency and you're not really getting what you need. And that's where a doula can really come in and help you understand what you should be getting um, and sort of how to have the right conversations, what questions to ask so that you can either get those services back on track or perhaps interview a new agency. Um, and that's, we kind of touched on this a little bit. And I went earlier when I said hospice is a choice, it is a choice. And the choice of agency is also your choice. And a lot of people, you know, get on services, maybe things aren't going exactly as they thought they would, and they think they're stuck and they have to continue for the next six months with that agency. And that is absolutely not true. If things aren't going on track the way you want them to, maybe your nurse isn't coming out as often as you think, maybe you do need to um, interview some other agencies, ask the right questions, you know, find out if they can better address the needs that you're having and, um, to change a hospice agency, it's really two phone calls, one to your current one and one to the new one. And it's as simple as that. And that's what it should be. You know, I always encourage folks to work with their current agency to try to make things better. Um, and again, that's where a doula can come in and help with those kinds of conversations. But if things aren't getting better, don't suffer. Don't put up with it. Find a new agency that will provide the care that you need. And Lucy, along along with the choice, I would also like to add that um, if the doctor recommends a certain hospice, you have the choice to choose a different hospice. You do not have to go with the hospice that the doctor recommends. And the best way, you know, if you don't want to go with the um, hospice that the doctor recommends, the best way to do that is um, to get a list of the hospices in your area, call them up, Ask them to send out a staff person to explain to you how they do hospice care. And then after you've interviewed two or three of them, then the one that you like, you call that one back and tell that hospice, I want you to be the hospice to provide care to my family member. And then that hospice calls the doctor to get the order um, so that they can start hospice care. All different kinds of choices. And one other question, Lucy, when you were talking about, because I loved the questions that you had as well. Another one I'd like to add in terms of like weekend stuff and on-call, is the on-call person local or is it a call center someplace else in a different part of the country? Because that makes a difference as well in terms of how they handle calls that come in in the middle of the night or on the weekends is it's important, I believe, that those calls that come in are handled locally rather than um, in a call center in a different part of the country. Well, that sounds like there's so many questions, but it sounds like really doing your homework when you're selecting a provider and the right service that's a right match to what those end-of-life wishes are is, is just really important. I know we'll have back at our website just a list of questions that in different links that people can review to find out more information as well. I just wanted to just ask, and any closing thoughts, any other other ideas, insights that you'd like to share with our listeners about hospice care? I guess for me, what I'd like listeners to take away is not to be afraid of hospice because it is about living and how to live life to the fullest while the disease or diseases are working their hardest to try to strip every ounce of dignity left out of the person. And hospice is there to walk that journey with you, to help you understand what's going on and to take the fear out of what's happening. And so it's something to 
embrace rather than be afraid of. 100% agree. That was going to be my takeaway too, is don't be afraid of hospice. So since Kent addressed that one so beautifully, what I will say my takeaway for listeners today should be is have the conversation now, whether your loved one's actively dying in a crisis, new diagnosis, doesn't matter. Have those conversations today. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to ask questions. And that's really what it comes down to, right? Education is key. Educate yourself. Educate yourself about the diagnosis. Educate yourself about the process of, you know, what that disease is going to look like. Educate yourself with the questions that you're going to ask the hospice agencies that you call, be prepared ahead of time, have the conversation, and really it'll make the process go so much smoother. It's never it's never an easy process, but there are certainly things that you can do to help yourself along, to help your family along, to help your loved one along, to make it not so stressful and not so scary. Just have the conversation. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your insights on hospice and end-of-life care services. You have brought such a light to such an important information for our listeners. To view resources, show notes, and access more MyCare Advisors episodes, visit MyCareAdvisors.com. You can also subscribe and listen to our podcast on your favorite app. I leave you with this thought. Cherish your yesterdays, dream your tomorrows, and live your todays. Choose to be inspired to live the best life every day. Thank you for listening. We are grateful to be your guide.